You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. sometimes when we fall and we fall into sin we too flee we run away from God because we're embarrassed about our sin we we start thinking that our Heavenly Father no longer loves us our Heavenly Father no longer can look at us and our Heavenly Father has disgusted us in some way and we run from him We, we run from him and we hide from him and we take ourselves out of fellowship we think we've lost favor We think he's turned his back on us. Oftentimes our sin can cause us great shame, and shame is a powerful thing. When we feel shame about our sin, we start to think and believe things like, God can't love me after this, or I'll never get it right. It's these types of thoughts that drive us from God, but they couldn't be farther from the truth about our Lord. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 15, as he begins his message, The Rejected King. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 15. We're going to look and be looking at specifically verses 13 through 23. So if you've been with us now for a while, all through 2 Samuel and up to 2 Samuel 12, and now that we're in 15, ever since David's sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah, David has been on a downward slide. His kingdom is falling apart. It's divided. He was once a very, very popular king, but now his popularity has waned. And he's struggling to keep hold of his kingdom, all coming from the prophecy that the Lord made against him in uh, chapter 12. God's chastisement came upon David. He had already lost two sons. The one baby that was born to Bathsheba, died several days or later. The other one, Ammon, who was the crown prince, shamed and disgraced his sister by raping her, David's daughter, and then he sent her away. Then David's favorite son, Absalom, sought revenge and killed his brother Ammon. So David's already lost two sons. And unfortunately, if you know the story, he's going to lose two more. Very sad story here. Absalom fled to Jerusalem. He left, and he was exiled from his father for three years. And all during this time, David mourned the death of his sons. And he longed to see his son Absalom. You know, sometimes when we fall, and we fall into sin, we too flee. We run away from God. Because we're embarrassed about our sin, we we start thinking that our Heavenly Father no longer loves us. Our Heavenly Father no longer can look at us. And our Heavenly Father has disgusted us in some way. And we run from Him. We, We run from Him and we hide from Him. And we take ourselves out of fellowship. We think we've lost favor. We think He's turned His back on us. That He no longer loves us. We stay away 
because we can't face the fact that we've sinned and we've disappointed our God, we actually place ourselves in self-exile. We become exiled to our Father. But oh, how wrong we are. How wrong we are when the Scripture says that I will remember their sin no more. That every sin you can ever think of, every sin you can ever imagine except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what's that? That's denying Jesus Christ. But every other sin you can think of, there's not one sin that you can think of that hasn't, wasn't covered on the cross of Jesus Christ. Not one sin. I don't care how badly you've done it or what you've done or how many times you've done it. By coming to Jesus Christ, by accepting that sacrifice on the cross, you are forgiven and your sins are washed away. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. They're gone, completed, never to return. And we have peace with God. We make a peace with God because before that, we're at war with God. But then we have peace with God and we're justified by faith. Our faith believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, believing that he died on the cross for you, for me, for the entire world. And when we believe that, by faith we become justified, just as if it never happened is the coined phrase. But we exile ourselves. We do the one thing that is the worst thing we can do is we exile ourselves. We take ourselves out of fellowship. We no longer fellowship with the brethren. We no longer fellowship with our friends. We don't come to church. We don't come to Bible study, which is what we need more than anything. We need to get close to God. We have to come back to God. We have to come back to God. Many years later, David allowed Absalom to come back to Jerusalem, but he still didn't have anything to do with him. He refused to see him. But like David, our heavenly, like David, our heavenly father longs for his children that have gone astray. But there's a difference. Unlike David, when we return to the father, he comes running to us. Look at the parable of the prodigal son. The beautiful power of the prodigal son. Every single day that the son was gone, the prodigal was on the porch like this, looking for his son. And when the son finally had enough of the pig trough, when the son finally had enough of all his gatherings on and doing this and that, spent all the money and all those kind of things, he came to his senses and said, gee, if I could just be a servant in my father's house, if I could just be a servant, I'd be okay. And he started coming back. And the father sees him from afar off. You know the story. He runs to him. Runs to him. And when he gets there, he smothers him with kisses. Puts the royal robe on his finger. Puts, a, puts, his, puts a, the, the ring on his finger and the royal robe on him. They kill the fatted calf and they have a celebration. His son once was lost, but now he's found. What a beautiful picture of our father here. You exile yourself, but God's standing there like this with open arms. Come back to me. Let me love you. Let me minister to you. Let me help you through your crisis. Let me help you through your time of woe. I know exactly what you're going through. Why don't you let me help you? See, when we do that, when we exile ourselves, and we continue to exile, you know what we're telling God? That's not good enough. That's what we're telling God. That's not good enough. What I did can't be covered by that. When David refused to see his son, this enraged the new crown prince because Absalom was now the new crown prince. He was in line. So he sought to get even with dad because dad refused to see him. Absalom sought to get even with dad. He sought to take the crown. He wanted to be king. And everybody started to esteem him because of his good looks. 
Everybody thought that he was such a good-looking guy, and they started to esteem, esteem him, and he started to do tricks. He started to double-talk and, and talk about his dad and, and talk all this kind of stuff up. And look what it says in 2 Samuel 15, 6. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom cheated his way into Israel's heart. This is what the world does to us. The world tries to steal your heart from God. The world in all its glory and all its fun and all its great things tries to steal your heart from God. Absalom begged his father to send him to Hebron. Says, I need to make a vow that I made to the Lord while I was plotting. Well, all he was doing was wanting to get away. And in Hebron, he was going to declare himself as king. And he takes over 200 men with him. They follow him. In 2 Samuel 15, 11, it says, they went along innocently and did not know anything. These guys were duped. These guys were duped into following Absalom. And in verse 12, it says, then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city of Gilah, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Absalom makes a big choice, and he gets David's counselor, one of David's best people, to his side. He woos him, and he comes to his side. Why did Absalom's power grow so mighty? What was the problem here? What was the problem that allowed him to gain the backing of David's counselor? What was the promise of this? His power grew and grew and grew, and David's kingdom became divided, and David's power shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. Well, for one thing, David's forgiveness of Absalom was completely inadequate. He didn't forgive him all the way. And this led to more sin by Absalom. When he should have been a strong father, when he should have disciplined Absalom a long time ago, he didn't do it. And then that kept continued to fester, and then he backed off all the way and refused to see his son to make up, so his forgiveness was completely incomplete. It was inadequate, and this enraged the young crown prince. It enraged him. Oh my, what a difference between David's forgiveness and God's forgiveness. I'm here to tell you today that God's forgiveness is complete. It is complete. Because everything that happened on the cross took care of sin once and for all. It is finished once and for all. God's forgiveness is complete. It's completely adequate. And not only that, but when you recognize God's completeness, when you recognize God's forgiveness, it becomes a deterrent to sin. It becomes a deterrent to sin. There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 14, a really, really good verse that says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And I love that. The love of Christ compels us. It compels us. Well, this word compel now, the Greek word here is, is son echo. Son, echo. It means to hold together, to secure, to have hold of. And what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that the effect of the word of God on your life, the effect of God's love on your life, actually compels you not to sin. It becomes a deterrent 
to sin, when you realize how much God loved you, when you realize what Jesus went through on a cross, when you truly realize it and take it in and say yes and understand what happened that day, it's a deterrent. It's a deterrent. It keeps me seeking Jesus Christ. When I look at that cross, I'm overwhelmed with love. I'm overwhelmed with, with what he did for me, and I want to continue to seek him. It helps me put down the sin nature. It helps me to submit to the Holy Spirit. Because why? The love of Christ has power. Love of Christ has power. It has a force that can bind us and influence us. And I love the original King James. It uses the word constrain. The love of Christ constrains us. It constrains us. It keeps us from doing these things. One commentator said this, and I love this quote. It is only at the foot of the cross that the man who is forgiven learns to hate the sin that separated him from God. God's forgiveness of the human soul can only take place when a guilty soul and a holy God are brought together by faith, which claims the price Jesus paid. I love that. I really do. Knowing and understanding the cross and that what it means. It's not an ornament. We don't have one in our church as decoration. And many of us wear them around our necks. Some people have them tattooed on their arms. You know, we have them in our houses. We have them here. It's not a decoration. It's been said, would you wear an electric chair around your neck? Shirt would stick out like this if you had a little electric chair in there. It, it was a cause of death. But we was so much more when we look at it. We need to understand what happened that day. What happened that day was Jesus hung there, and as he hung there, God's wrath came upon him. God's wrath for you, 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 me, the whole world. God's wrath. Why? Because he took the whole sin of the world on top of him. The whole sin of the world comes down on top of him. God's justice, his wrath, he's got to deal with sin. Knowing what helps, it helps constrain me. My biggest fear is that I'll do something to disappoint him. Even though I know he won't be disappointed in me, I, my fear is I'll do something to disappoint him. It constrains me. His love constrains me. It's not that I don't sin, I do, but when I do, I have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. I can run right back to the cross. Forgive me, Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we take up our study now, finally, in, chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 15, I don't even know if I'm going to get finished this. It says, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. This is probably one of the most saddest moments in David's life. The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. The king was rejected by his people. This is a tragic moment. David was chosen by God. David was anointed by God. David was given promises of God. And now the people of Israel have rejected him as their king. What makes me extremely sad is that deep, deep down inside... Deep down inside in David's heart, he was conscious of the fact that he deserved it. But God wasn't through with David yet. And although the Lord's chastising hurt David, 
And although the Lord's chastisement came upon him, David knew that God's word was stand. Because if we read back in that time when God made a covenant with David, God made a covenant with David. It would be an everlasting covenant that someone from your family, someone from your seed, David, would sit on the throne forever. And who was he talking about? He was talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And David knew it. David knew exactly who he was talking about. God's word would stand. God had made a covenant. What was this? This was another test. This was another test of his faithfulness. This was another refinement. David, I love you so much, I'm going to turn the heat up. We're going to have another little refining time here, Dave. Going to make you pure. David knew it. He accepted it. And he also knew, though, God's loving hand was with him. God's loving hand was with him. There are consequences for our sin, but when we recognize that God will see us through, God's there at the end, we can be thankful that he is. We can be thankful that he's called his children. David had been rejected by his own people. Fast forward a thousand years. Fast forward a thousand years. The son of David, the Messiah, the son of the living God is also rejected by his people. John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own would not receive him. In Isaiah 53.3 says, he was despised and rejected by men. The son of man, the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be rejected by all of Israel. Throughout the history of the world, as we read through this, we read through Judges, remember? As we continue to read through the kings, Israel constantly rejects God time and time and time again. And every time they come back to him, God forgives them time and time and time again. But they would reject him once again. But this time they rejected his son. And Jesus clearly said to the Pharisees, if you reject me, you reject the Father. Back in chapter 5, some men that left David to go with Absalom begged him to be their king. These same men were begging him to be their king. Now they're rejecting him completely and siding with the one who stole their hearts. And what did I think about this? On that triumphant day when Jesus rode into the town of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and they were spreading their clothes down in front of him, spreading branches and palms. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Blessed be the name of the Lord! Less than a week later, crucify him! Crucify him! Sad. Sad. Let's look at 14 through 16. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape Absalom. Make haste to Bart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. This is David's first official order now, was to get his family and everybody else out of Jerusalem. He leaves 10 concubines in the house to basically take care of the house. This is going to play into the hands of Absalom, as we'll see when we get to chapter 16, if we ever get there. David didn't want to see Jerusalem destroyed by Absalom. One commentator said this, quote, It was just like David to risk his own life and abandon his own throne to protect others. You know, when I read this statement, 
you've got to know where I'm going with this. Jesus Christ left his throne. Jesus Christ left his throne and came to earth as a man. He came to earth as a man willingly to do the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? That he would suffer and die on a cruel Roman cross for our sins. Why? So that mankind would be saved, that mankind would have a way back to the Father. Verse 17. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. David goes out. He goes out and pauses at the city gates, and he looks back. It must have been a terrible time for him. He must have been heartbroken, even though he knew God's hand was in it, and even though that God was with him. You know, he looked back at the city. I mean, he did a lot of things in that city. He brought the, brought the Ark of the Covenant back to the city. He did so many things in the city, but yet he looks back and knows that he has to leave it to the hands of his son, Absalom. It's a sad time to look back on all the things that he said. It was the beloved city, and guess what? It carried his name. It was called the city of David. What a terrible thing. But he wouldn't leave it destroyed, so he left. What did he see? What did he see when he looked back? Well, for one thing, he sees a lot of guys. Look at 18. Then all his servants passed before him, and uh, there were the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before him. He looks back and he has ites before his eyes. Ites, I-T-E, yeah, that was interesting. At least I didn't say termites. Come on, give me a break. All the ites were with him. They were all there. These are his personal bodyguard. The Gittites, remember the Gittites? They were the ones who followed him from Gath. When he was down in Gath, when he, when, these were Philistines, gang. These are Philistines, and they're following David. What's most interesting to me is these men were so faithful to David before he came for successful. They were with him in the dark times, and now they're with him when they're with him in the dark times, the good times, and back to the dark times. It's, it's a remarkable thing, one commentator said, that is the defining moment of his later reign, foreigners rally around David. And it's more remarkable and tragic that his own countrymen and his own family were nowhere to be found. Let's look at things at a different light. Jesus came to his own people, the Jews, didn't he? His family, so to speak, didn't he? They rejected him, didn't they? But the foreigners, the foreigners accepted him, didn't they? We foreigners, we were far off. Remember Ephesians? Those who were far off, that's us, the Gentiles. We had no right to Israel. We had no right to Judaism. We had no right to God. But through Christ now, he has brought us in. Remember, he made the two one, the Jew, the Gentile, and the one man, the new man, through Christ Jesus. We rallied around him. We accepted him, and we followed Jesus Christ. These men saw something in David. They knew him before he was king. Remember in 1 Samuel 22, these men were discontent. They owed money. They were in debt. They, they, had, they had no place to go. And he gathered them when he was running from Saul. What a great picture here. When we're depressed, when we're discontent, and we realize we have a debt we can't pay, we gather around one who is even greater than David, don't we? And his name is Jesus Christ. We gather around him. You are assured.
The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of King David as he's finally able to ascend the throne. Though he seemed to have achieved God's calling on his life, David's journey wasn't free of problems. David was still human, and he made mistakes that affected him and those he loved. But during the rest of his life, no matter where it took him, David remained a man after God's own heart. When confronted with his sin, David consistently turned back to his heavenly father, confessing and asking for forgiveness. David knew he wasn't perfect and that he needed the mercy only God could provide. Today, we hope you too remember that God's mercy is worth seeking. He's provided for you the grace you need to live free from your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved. Would you like to know more about having your sins forgiven? Please visit our website then, assurehoperadio.com. Click on How to Be Saved to learn all about what Jesus has done for you and why you need His grace in your life. If you still have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us, 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in today. You can hear more messages like this from Pastor Dave at our website as well. Just click on podcasts slash radio when you visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.